Great episode this week, Joe. Episode 38. We got our good pal Davey Siegel joining us to finally talk some NASCAR. We've talked a little bit of everything on this podcast. We've talked hoops, football, baseball, hockey, golf. But this week we talked some NASCAR with the Daytona 500. Last week, Davey's host of the Victory Lane podcast, writes for Front Stretch, and he's associate producer for NASCAR Radio at Sirius XM. So without further ado, our guest, Davey Siegel, talking to NASCAR with us. Thrilled this week to be joined by our good friend, host of the Victory Lane podcast, writer for Front Stretch, associate producer for NASCAR Radio at Sirius XM, NASCAR and Waffle House lover, our good friend, Davey Siegel. Welcome to Glass of Joe, Davey. Been a long time coming, fellas. I gotta say, I just I I can't believe that Worm has been on before me, but better late than never. So hey, I topical stuff, that. man. It was football season. It wasn't NASCAR season yet, but it's finally NASCAR season. So there you go. Well, I mean, it's always NASCAR season. Actually. That's true. Plus, if you're gonna try to find an excuse to actually justify putting Worm on before me, I'm not hearing it. So <laughs> just take the L and move on. So look, you were at Daytona. Tell us about it. What would it was like being at the track? There were obviously it was a long day. We had a long rain delay. Mm-hmm. Michael McDowell got the victory. So what was the what was the whole day like? Gotta start off. We're not gonna bury the lead here. I had Waffle House three times in four days. <laughs> I had an all-star special all three times. Blueberry waffle twice, chocolate chip waffle once, egg scramble with cheese, hash brown smothered, covered in chunk. It was glorious. It was delicious. Okay, now we got By the third time, did the people working there know your name? No, I went to two separate places. So um, one day it was not that busy at the track. So I went to the beach. I walked on the beach for a little bit and I got it to go. I got it to go every time because, you know, Florida is a little buck wild down there. Don't want to be (laughs) dining. Sorry, Joe. Um, I'm going down there in six weeks. Don't don't even get to tell me about it. Yeah. So I ate it in my car and at Daytona each time. They didn't remember me or know who I was, but uh, it was, I mean, just the vibe inside the Waffle House is honestly probably better than the vibe at Daytona. It was just so great to be back at the house, honestly. I mean, I just- You're went always welcome that there. Reason alone. You're always welcome there. Yes, I am. But to answer your question, um, the vibe at Daytona was actually pretty weird. And that's because I've become accustomed to what the usual vibe is like. I've been going to every 500 since 2010. And I've been there with my dad every single time as a fan and then transitioned to being there as media. And you guys haven't been there, but you've been to big time sporting events. So you understand the pomp, the circumstance that goes into something like that. And Daytona is different because there's 100,000 people in the grandstands, not even counting all the fans in the infield that are camping out. It usually is a two week lead up to the actual race with qualifying races and Xfinity trucks, ARCA, all this different stuff going on. Dirt racing out in Volusia, 40 minutes down the road, short track racing at New Smyrna. It's a slow build to the first race of the year, which is the biggest race of the year that has all this unpredictability and just a huge big time feel to it. But because of COVID, only 30,000 fans were allowed there on Sunday. And then Mother Nature didn't play nice. So there <laughs> yeah. was a six hour rain delay. So the vibe of the whole 500 race day was just different. It wasn't better it wasn't worse it was just different and a little bit weird but I was actually stationed in the infield in the media center all week and I watched the start of the race on top of the fan zone which is in the cup series garage and I was with a couple not a couple a lot of fans there 
and I could get the vibe a little bit better to make it feel somewhat normal because you still had people drinking, cheering, shouting, and enjoying themselves. But as soon as the rain came, it just was depressing. Um, but overall, the, the time I'm glad I went, it was just something that I've never really experienced before at Daytona. And something that has never been experienced before in his career was Michael McDowell actually winning. Uh, and now just explain to us the ending of that race. Cause I'm sitting there with the Joey Logano ticket at 12 to one. Like, ah, oh, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get the this. The announcers thought he won too at the, and, like, and, right and at the beginning. Keselowski clips him. McDowell comes through the, through the dust and he gets the W. So what happened at the end? Daytona happened uh, to put it simply, <laughs> but I mean, I saw that coming from a mile away, but to tell you what happened at the end, we got to go back a little bit. So on lap 15, you had the big one, which was before the rain delay. And that wiped out 16, I believe, cars. And out of those 16, a good 12 of them were really solid. And usually in speed weeks, like I mentioned, the slow buildup with two weeks, you get a sense of who has a really good car, who's fast, who can push well, who can draft well, who has raw speed, stuff like that. And you can usually narrow it down to four or five drivers, maybe. There was a good 10, 12 drivers this year that had a legitimate shot at winning the race because they were good pushers. They were good in the draft. They had a lot of raw speed. So it was tough to narrow it down in that respect. Um, But that big one knocked out a ton of drivers, including um, Martin Truex Jr., Eric Amarola. Sorry, that's a dog. Um, And a bunch of other drivers. Ryan Blaney, too, in that wreck. Blaney was in it. He was my pick to win as well. And when the rain came, that allowed everybody to relax for a little bit, then regroup. And when they restarted at 945 at night, said, all right, there's not a lot of competition out here. I think I have a good shot at winning this thing. So what ensued then was a single file freight train with nothing really going on. Everybody just single file in line on top, riding around for the next 160 or so laps. And Denny Hammond led 98 of them most of the night. And we saw the writing on the wall that it was going to come down to the last lap because you saw Kevin Harvick made a move with two to go. He dove from the top to the bottom, but he was all alone. He had no drafting help with him. So he fell right back. And it was the last lap where people started to make moves because that was going to be the only time when it was actually possible. So that happened. Um, Logano was leading. Brad made a move. McDowell didn't let up. And I don't know if they made contact for sure, but it's nobody's fault, really. It's just a racing deal. And um, Logano and Kozlowski crashed. Kyle Busch rammed into him. Cindric rammed into him. Bubble was in there. Fire ablaze. And once you know it, in his 358th career start, the journeyman Michael McDowell, good pull, Peach, comes in with the win. It was, uh, it wasn't. So was a he shock. 66 to one or was he 100 to one? Depends when or where you got it. Yeah, it depends yeah. when and where you got him. But I will say, I mean, it's, it's a an lot upside. of Waffle House. True. True. <laughs> it, I was it, say, put, put him into context, though. Put him yeah. into context. Like 358 races, you said. I don't want to say scale from one to 10, but like maybe a, a, an analogy to another team winning in another sport. What is equate him winning the Daytona 500 or something like that? So this is not Leicester city winning the premier league, but Daytona is proven to have surprise winners. And this was not a shock because Michael McDowell, he's been around for a while. And although he hasn't won a race in the cup series, he's really good at Daytona and really good at Talladega. I don't have the official number in front of me, but I believe over the last two or three years, McDowell actually had the best average finish in the Daytona 500, mm-hmm. which is interesting because a lot of it is 
positioning yourself, being in the right place at the right time, avoiding the wrecks. Wouldn't you know it? That's what McDowell did on Sunday and Monday morning, I guess. And that gave him the victory. So it's not a crazy upset that, that you've seen before. I mean, actually 10 years prior, Trevor Bain, who McDowell actually drove his motor home 10 years prior Trevor Bain, when he won the Daytona 500, that was an upset to end all upsets. When Derek Cope did it in 1990, that was an upset to end all upsets. McDowell's was a surprise, but it wasn't a shock. It would be similar to maybe an eight seed beating a one in the NBA playoffs, maybe like the Pelicans beating the Warriors a couple of years ago in the series and then going on to win the title. Like, it's possible, but nobody really thought it would happen. And there's glimpses of them having the potential to do it. But a lot of things have to go their way. And a lot of things went McDowell's way. And he put himself in the right spot at the right time. He capitalized. And a lot of people are really happy for him as well. I mean, Denny Hamlin's the best restrictor plate, or they don't race restrictor plates anymore, the best super speedway racer in NASCAR nowadays. And he tweeted out afterwards, you know, this is not a fluke at all. He's been up running up front year after year. It's really well-deserved. Congrats. And actually asked McDowell about that after, you know, what does that mean to get that from the best super speedway racer in the sport right now. And he said it means a lot, but he also thinks that overall the drivers in the garage are genuinely happy for him and genuinely excited for him, which they are because McDowell is regarded as like one of, if not the nicest driver in the garage. So sometimes nice guys do finish first. And now before PJ carries out on the next thing here, we said it was going to be a NASCAR for dummies episode. And one question that I've always had, and I've, I've since gone on to look it up and, and dig into it on my own, but yeah. I want to hear your explanation of it. And for any listeners we have who have never been exposed to NASCAR and might've had the same thought in their mind, what makes certain drivers actually contenders versus some who aren't like Bubba Wallace, for example, last year, I remember you saying he's a guy who can never really finish above 15 or 20. And now on Sunday, I watch him, leading and almost winning that second stage and being in it. And now there's talk that he's like an under the radar contender. Now that he's in the Jordan car with Denny Hamlin as a co-owner, what makes the difference as to why certain guys have a ceiling on where they can and can't finish? It's a good question. And I'll answer it in two parts. Um, PJ's probably heard me talk about this at nauseum, but a lot of it is equipment. So NASCAR, unfortunately it's a pay to play sport most of the time. And you could be the best driver in the world but if you're driving what some drivers call a shit box, sorry if you have to bleep that out, you're not going to do anything, right? So Bubba Wallace has been driving the 43 the past couple of years. They've been a C team, right? I mean, if they finish top 10, that is a win. And typically they'll finish 20 to 25th every single week, and that's about what they can do. Now he moves over to 2311 racing with MJ and Denny, and that team is Toyota-backed. And they have a relationship with Joe Gibbs Racing. So 2311 gets their cars from Joe Gibbs Racing. They're not fresh off the line. They're maybe a year old or a few months old, but they get the engines, the chassis, the data, all the information, some other engineers as well from JGR. So you have an immediate upgrade right there based on personnel and equipment that allows you to contend better week in and week out. But at Daytona specifically, and Talladega, the super speedway races, that levels the playing field more than any other track. Now, you have Texas, Atlanta, Las Vegas, Charlotte. Those are all mile-and-a-half tracks and some other mile tracks in there that are somewhat predictable in the sense that you'll have the big guns running up front. Penske, Stuart Haas, Hendrick, those type of teams 
winning races consistently because those tracks lend themselves to the best drivers and the best teams. But Daytona and Talladega, it's reliant on the draft. And with the draft comes a level of equalization because you see guys like Michael McDowell, who on a usual day is going to finish 25th to 30th or maybe 20 to 25th. He's running up front inside the top five and he's staying there because all the cars are, are specced out a little bit and they have the same pieces, the same equipment. So JGR doesn't necessarily have a huge advantage over front row motorsports, the team that McDowell drives for at Daytona or Talladega that they would at Texas, Vegas, Phoenix, Dover, what have you. They still have a little bit of an advantage, but that's when it comes down to the driver's skill in terms of positioning themselves at the right place at the right time, making the right moves, side drafting, all those different types of things. So it's a really good question and it's a little tough to answer, but if you're, if you like sit down for a few months and just listen to the broadcast, watch the races, you'll start to understand how much equipment really matters and how much driver skill factors into that equation as well. So essentially you got guys, Go ahead, Jeff. The one consistent finisher I know is this guy, Gase. He's always at the bottom, and it's very topical <laughs> because Adam Gase is the worst. So I yeah. always laugh every time I see his name at the bottom. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> Don't even so know essentially, his name. Essentially, you got your guys who have, like, the Yankees and Dodgers of equipment, and they're towards the top. And then you have, like, your Pirates and your Marlins and your Orioles towards the bottom. And yeah, and, like, I mean, like, like, you know, the Pirates, the O's, the Rays, like, their payroll is nothing of the Yankees, Right. right. But you saw the Rays make the World Series this year, and they almost shocked the world. And that's so. what the super speedways give you. They give you that even plan. Right. And, and that's why they're really popular. And also, I mean, you saw, like, casual fans, like, spectacular crashes. And you saw in the last lap, we had that this year. Last year, had it as well, thankfully. Last year's was scary. DJ's old boy, Nunu, was all right. Yeah. yeah. It was really scary. Um, but that, that comes with super speedway racing as well. So you have that. And it's just a level of like everything is so heightened because the drivers are literally inches away from each other going 200 miles an hour. So if one person messes up by that much, it messes up everything for everybody else. You saw on lap 15, Christopher Bell barely hit Almarola in the wrong spot. Almarola went spinning into Alex Bowman, who was a really fast car, collected 14 other drivers. Their day's done. No fault of their own. So there's a lot of unpredictability that comes with it. But as you said, PJ, it's similar to baseball and the salary cap in the sense of you can have underdogs have success. It just kind of happens few and far between. Now, my real quick NASCAR for dummies question is why? So I was watching Talladega the last 10 laps or whatever, right? And I'm waiting for or Talladega, Daytona, and I'm waiting for guys to make their move. And they're just yeah. all single file next to each other. One lap goes by, two laps goes by. There's seven laps left, six, and nobody's making any moves until the very last lap. So why do guys wait until like the last lap or two instead of lap like 10 or 11 to make their move? So I think I touched on it earlier, but you saw Kevin Harvick. He tried to make a move with two to go. And you're like, all right, two laps to go. It's go time. Like we're going to see it happen now. And it didn't even work because the way that the race was flowing at that point, you saw everybody was content to ride. Nobody was going to go anywhere. Nobody was going to do anything. They were just clicking off laps trying to get to the end to make a move when it counted. I personally, I mean, if I was driving, backseat driving, <laughs> I would have made a move with four or five to go, maybe one or two to go as well. And I would have gone with Harvick because you want to try to position yourself to be blocking in the lead on the last lap. But some people have the thought of, I want to be trying to make the move for the win on the last lap. And I don't want to be leading. That's what you saw. So Harvick made the move with two to go. 
he ducked down from the top to the bottom and he had no drafting help. So he was a sitting duck. He fell back. And then on the back stretch on the last lap with a mile and a half to go, Keselowski tried to get by his teammate, but as happens, everything is heightened. Everything's so close. He just misjudged it a little bit. McDowell was behind him, pushing him. He wasn't going to let up. He's trying to win the Daytona 500 for God's sake. So then you had calamity that ensued. The reason why everybody waited is because if they did it earlier, it wouldn't have worked. Case in point, Kevin Harvick. And even before the big one on lap 15, you saw drivers trying to experiment whether or not their car was able to make moves on the bottom with a little bit of help, with no help, and it didn't seem to work. People were just staying up top in their lane in the draft with more momentum, more horsepower, punching a bigger hole in the air. So when one driver ducks down below, they have all this air that is just hitting their car and slowing them down. Whereas the guys in the top lane, they're a freight train. They're lined up. They have a big hole in the air and they're going faster. So the guy on the bottom with no help is going to go right by him. So Peach, that's why they wait to the last second because they know they might get one shot at it. And if they lose that one shot with two to go, they can't do it back. But if they get that one shot with one lap to go and they convert on it, there's more of a likelihood that people are going to go with them to try to help so that the bottom will become more dominant than the top, leaving the top, who would be Joe Logano, sit and duck. And also, in the case of what happened and there's a crash and the caution comes out and the field is frozen at the time of the caution, if you happen to be in the lead, you win the race. So that's what happened with McDowell, and that's what you saw on Sunday. Makes sense. And uh, before Joe talks to you about the season as a whole, my last Daytona question for you. I've asked you this before, but I just still don't understand why Daytona is considered the biggest race of the NASCAR season. Like to normal sports fans like me and Joe, Daytona is probably a bigger deal than the playoff races itself. Mm -hmm. And in theory, Daytona should probably be the least important race because it's the first race and you have so much time in the season remaining. So is Daytona just so big because of the reputation and the history? Like what makes it the Super Bowl for NASCAR when it's the first week of the season? It's a good question. I wish I could answer it like super accurately, but given the fact that I've been around since 96 and the 500 has been around forever, (laughs) I don't, I don't know the full history behind it in the sense of, you know, being there for it, but it just, it's always been, well, I shouldn't say always, it actually always was not the first race of the year. It used to be the second race of the year to Riverside in California, but for as long as most people can remember, it's been the first race of the year. It's been the biggest race of the year, and it's because NASCAR is headquarters, and they were founded in Daytona Beach. Mm. The Daytona International Speedway was one of, if not the first, big super speedways built in America. Speed, precision, engineering. Back then, I mean, that was a bigger deal than it is now because, you know, there's a lot of talk about America falling out of love with the automobile and out of motorsports, And, you know, kids couldn't wait to get their driver's license when they turned 16 or 18. And now kids are like, yeah, I don't really need a license. I'll just Uber anywhere or whatever. So, I mean, back in the day, you know, racing was so much bigger of a deal than it is now. It's starting to get back there. But Daytona was always the pinnacle of NASCAR stock car racing. Indianapolis has been around longer and the Indy 500 has been around longer. I think uh, this is going to be the 104th or 5th running of the Indy 500 in 2021. And this is the 63rd running of the 500. So Indy has more length on it, but Daytona to NASCAR and stock cars specifically, 
it just holds so much cachet and it, there's just so many different memories and historical moments that have happened there at the racetrack, but the sanctioning body itself, like NASCAR was founded in Daytona beach at the streamline hotel that I, that I drive by on my way to the track for my Airbnb every single day. Um, the headquarters are still there now. Um, there's a lot of drivers that are from the area originally. And even though the hub is in Charlotte, when you think of NASCAR, you don't think of Charlotte, you think of Daytona. And that's how it's always going to be. The 500 is, is a beast in and of itself. And it's always been the first race of the year. It just has always happened to be the biggest one of the year as well. I think over the years, it's just gained this reputation of being unlike anything else in the sport. And now nothing's going to ever replace that. And so, some people always joke, they're like, oh, well, you know, this is a boring 500 and there's too many crashes and somebody's going to get killed here. They're going to move the 500 to the road course at Daytona, blah, blah, blah. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. And people are saying, oh, well, you should make Daytona the last race of the year or in the middle of the year because it, it can mean more than never going to happen. Always going to be the first race of the year. Always going to be on the oval. Always going to be 500 miles. Always going to be entertaining and nothing's going to change that. And now the second race of the year is on the road course this week, back down there. So totally different race to watch. And now PJ said, I'm going to take it kind of into the season as a whole now. So who do you like to win the championship in the end? And who's an under the radar guy to watch? Maybe not necessarily to be a sleeper championship pick, but a guy who's going to turn some heads and, and finish a lot better this year than he did maybe in years past. It's tough to say who's going to win the championship because the playoff format being as it is now, it is so it's so reliant on just like, what have you done for me lately? What are you going to do for me on this one specific day? It's, it's not anymore a season long title where you accumulate points and you can be in a position to clinch the championship early. Like everybody did in the nineties and early two thousands. I mean, now how it is, as you guys know, is it's the championship four, it's the final four. And only those four drivers are eligible to win the title. Whoever finishes highest out of those drivers on that specific day wins the title. So I don't even know who's going to be there, but my so guess. who are your four then? If you had a guess, yeah, who yeah, you yeah. think the four will be? So Chase Elliott won the championship last year. I'm going to put him back in there because he's really good on road courses. And there's seven road courses this year, the most ever, almost 20% of the schedule. So he's going to be there, I think. Um, Denny Hamlin, I think, is also going to return there because he had a, a career year last year. I think he's going to replicate that, a similar success this year. I don't think Kevin Harvick's actually going to get there this year, even though he had a career year last year. I think they're in line for a little bit of a regression. I'll put Brad Keselowski in there um, along with his teammate, Joey Logano to do a team Penske duo in the final four. So way too early, but I'll have Denny chase Brad and Joey. And that's not even putting Kyle Busch in there, which is crazy to think about. And it's tough to say who will win it because Phoenix is the championship race. Denny Hamlin's won there before. Chase Elliott won there last year. Joey Logano's won there before. And I believe Brad Kozlowski's also won there too. So it's honestly just, you know, who's best on that specific day. It's tough to handicap who's going to win the title. But those four, I think, are, are primed for good years this year and to potentially get to the championship four. Um, and, Joe, the second part of your question was who's going to surprise this year? Under, under the radar guy who could, who could turn some heads. Not, again, not necessarily make the final four or – do well in the playoffs but like just a guy who kind of middle of the pack who you're going to turn around and say oh 
that kid's making some moves. Like like the old uh, like the old commercial about Austin Dillon. That kid's gonna be a name. Yeah. <laughs> Austin Dillon, he gonna be a name. Also, sorry, I'm just gonna <laughs> get up and let the dog out because he's being annoying. So I think somebody that could surprise some people is Christopher Bell, actually, and he's he's uh, running for Joe Gibbs Racing this year. It's his first year with the big team because last year he was with the now defunct Levine Family Racing, which is rebranded into 2311. But C. Bell, he, he is actually one of the most highly touted prospects in NASCAR history. I think based on pure financials, Toyota has spent more money on him, developing him in the pipeline than any other prospect in NASCAR history. So I think he's primed to, to get a victory and make the playoffs this season. I also wouldn't sleep on his de facto Toyota teammate, Bubba Wallace, because even though there's all this hype between behind 2311 and MJ and Denny and all this stuff, I mean, you saw at Daytona, like they were fast. And I think they're going to be fast in other places as well. But at the same time, I don't think they're going to win necessarily. Definitely not win in droves. You know, Bubba came out and said there's a possibility of him winning two races this year. And if that doesn't happen, he'll be disappointed. He kind of walked that back and was like, look, I just want to improve every week, stuff like that. Christopher Bell, I think, will win a race this year. They're racing on dirt at Bristol this year, and he's really great on dirt. So he could win that one in a few weeks. Bubba could win. I don't know if he will but I think he's going to have the best year of his career. So I'll say those two Toyota drivers, C. Bell and Bubba are primed for some solid years. And now thinking about the season as a whole, what is one race where you have a betting lock? Like, you know, when that race comes up on the schedule, you are picking this guy to win it come hell or high water. It's just his course, his type of race. You're picking him no matter what your lock of the season at a specific race. It's tough. Um, I'll give you a few. I'll say, Christopher Bell. So do you want like to win or can I give you like a top five, top 10? Top Either or just any, anything that you perceive as a lot. Christopher Bell sponsored by Taco Bell, because that seems like a missed opportunity. <laughs> if he's not. No. And Denny Hamlin's not sponsored by Denny's either. Yeah. That's, that's bad on their part. And Bush beer sponsors, Kevin Harvick, not Kyle or Kurt Bush. There's that confuses me every time. I watch. <laughs> every yeah. time I watch a race that confuses me. There's just a lot of missed opportunities. <laughs> um, I'll say, I'll say Christopher Bell is a lock to finish top five at the Bristol dirt race. Because like I said, this is the first time the cup series has raced on dirt in my lifetime. I think since the seventies and um, he's just unreal on dirt track. So I'll, I'll say that's a lock for him. Another lock is chase Elliott to win at least three road courses this season. There's seven. I think, I think he's going to win at least four, maybe five. Um, He's he's that that good on road courses. That good. Um, I mean, you could you could argue he's a lock to win this Sunday at the Daytona Road Course because he won last year and he finished second in the clash that was on the Daytona Road Course as well. Um, but one specific road course, I'll say Watkins Glen. Chase is really good at Watkins Glen. So I'll say I'll, I'll go on a limb and say Chase is my lock to win at Watkins Glen. Seabell, a lock to get a top five at the Bristol Dirt Race. Also, PJ, you like this one. Don't sleep on AJ Almondinger. He's really? in a race this weekend. He's running a partial schedule for a new cup team called College Racing. He's really good on road courses. Don't sleep on the dinger. All right. I like it. What about Grant Elflinger? Is he racing? You mean Enfinger? Enfinger. No. <laughs> He's in the truck series, so he doesn't race in cup. Oh, okay. Crazy story about him. Little side note. I'll be quick. He uh, had his best year last year, won four times, made the championship four, and he got demoted to part-time status this year. 
which is like a slap in the face. So your boy Enflunger, he's not doing too hot this year. Damn, but he, Grant. I think he uh, I think he got a top 10 this past week at Daytona. So we'll see how he does. Well, Siegel, you know we end with uh, Swift 7 and trivia. Before that, I have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. And I was interested why they don't run Daytona in prime time, especially now that football's over. And even all the races really – through april maybe like once may comes around and you got nhl and nba playoffs heating up why don't they just run all the nascar races at night so you don't have to compete with college hoops you don't have to compete with golf then you get casual fans like joe and i tuning in at 10 o'clock at night 11 o'clock at night catching in the end of the race and i think they could get some more eyeballs that way has there ever been talk about moving parts of the season tonight Yes, and this is a very hot topic today, and it's a very touchy subject for a lot of people in the industry, because for as long as anybody can remember, the start time for every single Cup Series race was 1 p.m. on Sunday, 1 p.m. on Sunday, 1.30, noon, and then when Fox and NBC came in a couple years ago, because they already had their TV contract locked in, NASCAR started leaning really heavily on their television broadcast partners in terms of what they wanted and what they wanted was more viewers and they deemed to get more viewers is to start the races later. So they end in prime time. Mm -hmm. So there's not one, one single 1 PM start this year in the cup series. And most of them start at three o'clock, three 34. And this year specifically Daytona started at two 45 ish. The well, rain came yeah. <laughs> messed everything really up, and the ratings came out this morning for Daytona record low ratings out of the entire existence of the Daytona 500 record low. And before the rain came, the ratings were looking pretty good, but after the rains came, not good record low. That's not good. Nah. And this all probably could have been avoided if NASCAR started the race at noon or 1 PM on a Sunday, not competing with college football, not competing with the NFL. One of the only times in NASCAR season that you're not competing with the behemoth that is football. It could have been avoided if they started it earlier. And the talk was potentially postponing it to Monday. But even if on Monday, they would have ran it at 4 p.m. So it would have ended around like seven or so. So to answer your question, Peach, it's a loaded question. They're never going to start all their races in prime time because – a, some tracks don't have lights. It, there's only a few tracks that don't, but some tracks don't have lights. And B, the majority of the fan base, you know, NASCAR fans are very particular and finicky in how they like certain things. And a lot of the fan base just likes having their races in the afternoon, whether that's a planning thing, you know, the age old adage is, you know, wake up, go to church, come back, watch the race, right? PJ and I don't do that, but... Um, <laughs> That's like the, that's the age old adage. And I mean, I'm sure that in non-pandemic times, there's still a ton of fans that do that. So there's going to be a lot more primetime races that you'll see in the coming years, especially after 2024, when the new television deal gets signed, which is being anticipated to be around, you know, the $10 billion mark, so to speak. Um, There's going to be more primetime races. There's going to be a lot of late starts, but I actually wrote a column on front stretch today basically making the case to start, you know, the TV broadcast can have whatever they want. Start the races at three. That's fine for the 500 started at one, avoid the South Florida weather that is inevitably going to hit you. And that way you don't have to deal with the poor ratings that we just saw this morning 
and you get racing in and everybody's happy. So it's, it's a loaded question, but I don't think we're going to have an answer to it anytime soon. Fair enough. And uh, all right, you see the shot clock we got up there, seven and a half minutes <laughs> left. All right. So, you know, Joe and I are cheap. We got 40 minutes to work with. Yeah, we're, doing, we're doing good. Uh, Swift seven time. Question number one for you. What is your favorite race that you've been to ever? Damn. Um, favorite race that I've ever been to. I can tell you the most important one that I've been to was probably the 2017 let the dog in 2017 meridian idaho 208 at meridian speedway because that was the first race that haley deegan won and that was the first race um that a woman won a can pro series race in. so that's probably the most important one I'm trying to think of another one that i went to talladega actually in 2011 I went with my dad. That was a three wide finish, six by six. And it was tied for the closest finish in NASCAR history. So that'd be one as well. Uh, Favorite track? Daytona. Coolest celebrity that you've seen at a NASCAR race? That I've seen or that I've met? That you've seen. Met too. I mean, if you've got somebody that you've met. Uh, Seen, probably MJ. I didn't see him this weekend, but I've seen him at another race before. Um, He was there cheering on Denny. And met... I'd probably say um, either Julian Edelman or Gabriel Iglesias. I peed next to Gabriel Iglesias <laughs> at Sonoma, and I was like, "Hola, Mister Fluffy." And <laughs> Very nice. And uh, all right, so you've told me that your favorite day of the year is when they have the Monaco in the morning, mm. in the in the afternoon, and the All Star Race at mm. night. So, if you could pick, would you rather be able to attend all three of those in the same day or have Michigan State win the title in basketball and football in the same year? Holy bejesus. <laughs> That's tough. You said attend all three in the same in the day? Same day, which is not physically possible. Yeah, but, it's not you know. physically possible. That's it's awesome. not. But if we could make it possible <laughs> and you had that option, or would you rather see Sparty win a football and basketball title in the same year? Dude, that's tough. We got a, <laughs> we got limited time left, so I I'll just make a gut decision. I'd choose Sparty. Wow, good choice. Good I really choice. thought you'd go to races. If, if there if there was that question for me in a similar fashion with Maryland, it's got to be Maryland. All right, that's... number five. To piggyback off of that question that PJ just asked, if you were a driver, would you rather win the Daytona 500 or the Indy 500? I'm still shook at that last question. I, you really uh, are. You're dazed over there. Yeah, I have. Um, it, I mean, that, that's a loaded question, too, because if you're a NASCAR driver, it's obviously Daytona. But if you're a race car driver, it's probably Indy. You'll probably be surprised at this, too. You know, for the last 20 years of my life, I probably would have said Daytona. I'd go Indy, though. You want to chug that milk. Uh, chug that milk. Chug that milk. Give, me, give, me, <laughs> give me a whole milk. I don't need that 2%. It's Indy. I right, can treat right. myself. Kiss the bricks. Kiss the there bricks. There you go. Right. Number six, favorite Waffle House menu item. So, like, the all-star special doesn't count, right? It has doesn't to count. Be a specific item. Single item. Probably the hash browns. Got to be. So. I like them covered, chunked, country. <laughs> the three right. Cs. That's how I get Country. My. Number like seven and the final one, and this is an easy question, but I, I wanted to ask it anyway. Your favorite Pixar movie? Oh, it's obviously Cars 1. You need what in the cup? He did what is good. It's cars one, then three, then two. Two is not good, but one is just spectacular. All right. Agreed 100%. Well, on the order, not not my number one, but on the order of the cars movies, yes. that's the correct order. Thank you.
Joe, go ahead and give the man his trivia. David, you better get oh, this right. Oh, okay. I thought it was frozen for a second. That's on me. Uh, you got 3.30 on the clock. We need a minute 30 for the trivia question. You get right. three strikes. You know how this works. Can you name five of the six drivers who have won Daytona three or more times? Um, Richard Petty. Seven times. Seven times. Denny Hamlin. Three times, correct? Three times. Dale Yarbrough. Four times, Four correct. Times. I need two more. Uh, two, yes. yes. And there are you three get all left. Six, go for all six. Right, but you just need um, two. It's not Dale Earnhardt, obviously. Uh, Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon three times. Three times. Yep. One more. one more. Oh, God, I'm on a time crunch. It's not Sterling Marlin. It's not Dale Earnhardt. You got a minute um, left, and you got three strikes. So you got plenty yeah. plenty of time. Not and, Jimmy uh, Johnson. Um, uh, David Pearson? No, not the Silver right, Fox. One. You like that uh, pause. <laughs> so it's ha- have won it three or more times, right? Three or more Both times. of these guys left have each won it three times. God, I'm going to be kicking myself when I don't know it. Richard Petty really won it seven times. Yeah, he's the GOAT, bro. That's and, uh, impressive. Do you guys 30 seconds hints? left. Do you guys give hints? Uh, no, no I-, I can't give you because you're going to get it. Oh, God. I got oh. hints for both of them, too. 30 seconds left, and you got oh, two strikes to work with. God. Uh, I'm, like, going through in my head. Um, it's not Fireball Roberts. Um, I don't know who that is, but no. <laughs> I don't think I know it. It's not Lee Petty. Is it Lee Petty? No. No. 10 no. seconds left. One, One more strike, strike Siegel. Who you got? Oh, God. Um, mm, uh, it's some old guy, probably. Uh. Uh, Give me know. one guess. Yeah, you don't know. Your father's going to be really disappointed. It's, it's not DJ. Three times, Dale Jarrett. Three times. <laughs> and the other one was Bobby Allison, who named his son oh, Davy. God. <laughs> Three times. Bobby and Deej. That oh, was bad. Yeah, oh, your dad's not going to be not going to. Not happy. So uh, yeah, I mean, you, you got through all the other guys real real quick, and then uh, Bobby and Dale. Take us out. Take us out, PJ. We got to deal with this disappointment. From Davey yeah. in some way. Well, Davey, thank you. We've obviously been looking forward to having you on to talk some NASCAR. We hope you enjoyed it. Joe and I learned a lot, definitely. And uh, we'll have you on uh, come playoff time, come NASCAR playoff time. Please do. I look forward to it. And uh, Waffle House on PJ next time. We're all Waffle together. House on, on any of us if we get those betting locks correct that you gave us. All right. I'm True. down for that. I'm using – you know, I might put a little something on Larson this weekend. At, uh, or was it Larson? No, Elliot. Elliot, Elliot, hey, Elliot. Elliot, Elliot this weekend. Sprinkle. Beautiful. Sprinkle a little bit. Thanks, Davey. See you. Thanks, fellas. Once again, that was Davey Siegel, and thanks to him for joining us. He was out at Daytona. He had a long day, Joe. Some rain yeah, delays. How, how much of that was a foreign language to you? A lot of it was. A <laughs> lot of it was. That was one of those where we just asked the questions and we just let him That's do it. the talking. I mean, and like, we don't want to sound condescending in any way because, like, it's not that we don't like NASCAR. We just don't understand it, and Davey loves it. And from working with him for the past two years, you knowing him longer, going back to what, second grade or whatever Kindergarten, it is? yeah. Kindergarten, yeah. Like, he's always tried to get us to like it. So when it's on, I'll watch it. During the pandemic, I went out of my way to watch it when that was the only thing back. I will go out of my way to watch the end of the big races. So it's not like we don't like it and we disregard it. We just don't know it. And he's been trying to teach us it. And that was very helpful for us as much as it was for any listener, hearing what he had to say. Um, I mean, so many questions. And we didn't even get to all of them. One of the other ones that I wanted to ask him, but we were running out of time. But I, I did ultimately ask him. And 
the answer that I could have probably found on Google anyway. Like they're in the end of the 500. Um, such a big deal was made about the Fords and the Toyotas and the Chevys all like getting together and things like that and just helping each other out. There's so many little intricacies that you don't realize, but at its core, and I was glad that you brought up that analogy, it is essentially the MLB. It is just some will pay, some will not pay. Right. And the ones who do pay will win. And the ones who don't pay maybe get lucky every now and then, like the Rays making it as far as they did. That's probably the best way you could possibly put it. Uh, and I'm glad you finally, I mean, I, I've never heard anybody put it that way. And it put everything with a nice ribbon on top. That's what you got to do. You just got to relate it. You know, that, to I didn't think that you would be the one to help me out yeah. in that sense, as opposed to Davey. I, didn't, I was not expecting that from you. Well, when you <laughs> asked the question, that's how it was starting to churn. Cause it was a great question. I never really thought about it. Like, why do the, you know, like, why is Jimmy Johnson the goat? Like what makes him yeah. just so much better than people when he was racing and what makes these guys like Kevin Harvick and Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Denny Hamlin, what makes them so good. And Davey told us it's the, you know, who they work for, the the manufacturers and all the different equipment that they have. So relating it to baseball was good. Yeah. Uh, Davey and I went to Talladega um, when I was at Alabama my junior year. Uh, that's the only NASCAR race I've ever been to. The first 15 laps, Joe, very exciting. The middle <laughs> 80 to 85, I probably could have taken a nap if I wanted to. And then the last 15, again, very, very exciting. And I'll tell you what, though, like for the casual fans like us, the best thing NASCAR did, in my opinion, and again, in different conversations we've had with Davey, he agrees, going to the stage format. So this way, that middle 90 laps isn't just a bore. You got to right. see who wins the first stage, who wins the second stage, who, who gets all those important uh, things added to their resume for the season. Like, yeah, definitely that, clever. That definitely built things up because now instead of going 90 laps without really caring what's going on and just waiting for the end, now it's maybe 20 laps because you're ready for the end of the first stage and so on. Like the, whenever that race ended up starting again, the Daytona, it was like 945 Um Sure, there was like lulls in there, but then towards the end of that second stage, when it was Denny Hamlin going up against Bubba Wallace and all the other things going on with that, were like, all right, Bubba's his car is co-owned by Denny Hamlin, so he's on his co-owner's heels, and like that at the end of the stage, that was exciting. And in the old format, you don't have that because you would have just had another fifty laps of waiting for that last that that big finish at the end with the big crash and. I love the stage format. I like the playoff format. It, it did a great job of groping in the casual fans like you, like me, that otherwise, like you said, would have just gone away for those middle 90 laps. Yes. Um, and, and, hey, David gave us some, some betting tips for the rest of the season. You, you know that I, I penciled those down. Yeah. Uh, did you take for, the for one this races. week? Uh, who is it again? Blaine Elliott. Elliot. I, I get Blaney, Larson, Elliot. All they're just a blur. Yeah, all, it's all they, one they all guy. Sound the same. They all it's, sound the same. They, they all sound the same. They no, don't. They, they don't. don't but like they <laughs> Blaney, just... Elliot, Larson don't remotely. The, the closest thing you get in all those, Blaney, Elliot, Larson. I mean, maybe the second two letters of Blaney are the first. They have two vowels in their name. That's, that's it. That's, that's what. I mean, is. almost everybody has a vowel in their name. Well, I know that's the joke. That's <laughs> the joke. Uh, I don't know for whatever reason. I just those like three or four drivers just all all blend together. What I did love though was that I really rattled Davey when I asked him if he would take the Michigan State titles in the same year or go to that day in racing where you get the Monaco Grand Prix, the Indy 500 and the all-star race in Charlotte. And he took Michigan state. I was shocked. 
And Davey loves the Spartans. And if he saw a football and basketball title, I mean, I know he'd be absolutely just out of this world. But ever since I've known him, he's that's his favorite day of the year. And he's always talked about if somehow they could ever invent it, that I could go <laughs> to those three things in the same day. And he took Michigan State, and I was like, wow. So the man loves the Spartans. Uh, so that's our NASCAR talk, Joe. We'll have Davey probably on around playoff time to talk to him about how the season's going and what's what through the NASCAR season. But we got to talk some golf. It's been a while since we've gotten to some golf. We got Augusta coming up in about two months or so. But right now, they're at the Genesis Invitational in Riviera, my favorite golf course outside of Augusta on the PGA oh, Tour is Riviera. Really? Pebble Beach is probably the nicest. That's what but, I would have guessed was your But second. just the the course itself and just the creativity of the holes, and I just – I love it. I love it. I love it. They always get great fields. They have another great field this week. Um, but Jordan Spieth's been the real story. His last two events – He has been. Waste management and Pebble. He's been playing great. Two top fives. He's been leading on Sunday – going into both of them. He just and hasn't been I, able to finish it off. And when I brought him up to you, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, it was after his first good event, so two weeks ago now, uh, you were like, yeah, but, and then this past week, yeah, but, what's it going to take to get the but out of that sentence for you? Or do you want to see, see him, him win yeah, again? Yeah. You just got to see him win again. Okay. You got to. You, you put back-to-back top fives like that later on Sunday, and knowing what he was before that big slump he had, gets your wheels turning that maybe he is back but I, that's fair you want to see him lift another trophy you got to, especially event. in these big tournaments I, I mean it's one thing to be leading on a thursday a friday a saturday thursday and friday don't matter they don't right matter. right it? but once the weekend hits and especially sunday there's just a different kind of nerves and look we're not professional golfers but just hearing people talk about it and you can just see just there's a different kind of pressure and, uh, you know, even with no fans, it's may- maybe it makes it even harder with fans and roars. Maybe the adrenaline gets you going a little bit. And you can forget about certain things, but uh, it's it's tough to win a golf tournament. And it's nice to see Spieth at least in contention again, because he was really, I mean, one of the better players when when he was first coming into tour people are like is this the because golf's always looking for the the masters and the open in 2015 and was second at the pga i mean it doesn't get much better of a start than that he's right he just has the pga left to complete the uh the career slam so everybody you know in golf they're always looking for the next tiger and nobody's going to be the next tiger but the thought was that maybe spieth could be the next face because that's how impressive he was first it was rory and then you know it was like oh is it going to be dustin johnson and then justin thomas and then spieth and then now it's maybe kepka but you just see how hard it is to stay dominant in golf for so long. He's gone through a tough little two-year stretch here where he really hasn't been in contention. Yeah, it's not much. a little slump anymore. It's been like two years. Yeah, I think that Open Championship was the last event that he's won So yeah. in 2018. So now it's 2021. It's nice to see him have some top fives. But And he's in contention again this week. Last I checked, yeah. he was like third or fourth. So you, you got to see him finish a Sunday off and, and get away. Now, if he doesn't finish a Sunday off between now and April, but he continues his form, top five, top 10, leading on Sundays, even if he doesn't finish, is he 
in your mind as a pick to win at Augusta because there's a course that he has played so well in the past. Yes. He now at so Augusta. Regardless of whether or not he wins between now and then, he would, as long as he's still playing well, he's in the conversation. He's in the conversation. I still wouldn't pick him to win because I think you need confidence that you can win going into a place like that. Even where he's had success, I still think there are a lot of days that go by where he thinks about that 12th hole and when he made that, (laughs) you know, eight on the 12th hole and his five-shot lead, all of a sudden he was one shot back. So that you know you, we talk about the pressure of a sunday in a golf tournament and that just amplifies on the back nine of a masters sunday so speed absolutely is in contention because you see it every year guys like bernhard langer freddie couples oh yeah it's the same course Paul every year right so it's the same course every year and if you know where to put it and you're playing well you can absolutely be in contention but to win it is, uh, yeah, Jordan's got to, I think, win one first before I can pick him to win Augusta. And that's why Tiger's always going to be in the conversation at Augusta. Because Phil, like you just same said, yep. it's all those guys. It's the, it's the one thing that's the same thing every year. And on that alone, he can pick up strokes on other people and, and go ahead and look, even last year, Tiger carded whatever it was, like 16. I don't even remember on, on that 12. On 12, hole. yeah. And if you take that hole away, which obviously you can't, he had a top seven finish, I believe it was, at the Masters this past year. And that's coming on the heels of obviously winning it the year before. And on the heels of a pandemic, having it in November, he was, right, he was one hole away, that one, from being in that same conversation. So that's, that's why I, my wheels were turning this week with Spieth having a couple good ones in a row. Is he a guy to sprinkle a little bit on come the Masters just because he's, he's got that confidence back? It's a course that he's good at, but like you said, definitely want to see him win one. Even if it's like one of these in-between ones, even if it's one of them that have a, a lesser field, like think back to when golf restarted after the beginning part of the pandemic, when DeChambeau had a couple of weekends where it was like him and then nobody else. Yes. There was that one tournament. Was it the, was it the Rocket, Rocket Morgan? Mortgage. I don't remember. Yeah. Yep. In he, went in, he went into the tournament as a minus 160 favorite. That doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. And he won it, yeah. but that just doesn't happen. So you almost wonder if maybe Spieth just one of those weeks where a bunch of guys aren't playing. Maybe he just does play and, and goes ahead and wins it. Like DeChambeau won that one because look what it did for DeChambeau. He turned around and won a major right after that because yeah. that confidence, that, that gives you a huge confidence boost. And since that U.S. Open, DeChambeau has only played in five events. Yeah. That U.S. Open was back in September, I guess. And yeah. uh, here we are in February. He's played in five events, and right now he's five over at Rivet. So you have to – that's why for the Masters this year I worry about Tiger, especially coming off that surgery. If he does play, he won't have a lot of reps under him. But a guy like Jordan who's playing a lot and he's playing well – definitely bodes well for him and it would be a good because you probably get some good odds on Jordan probably oh, yeah. around 40 50 to one somewhere in that range so definitely to take a little ten dollar flyer absolutely playing the way he's playing if he's if he's playing the way he's playing I, he probably comes in around 25 to one I'd say I would I probably, go yes. as far as 40 yes. 50 but right yeah 25 30 would probably be a good call yeah definitely but uh, yeah Riviera Joe like the sixth hole at Riviera is a par three they have a bunker right in the middle of the green like who does that like i just i like that kind of stuff i absolutely love a bunch of their tee shots will be like the tee shot is up on a hill and then the fairway is like down and ground level and it's just like an elevation kind of it's just it's a great great course look the west coast road swing when we had steve sands on he's like we got to get you guys out to waste management 
part of me is like, Steve, can we just hang with you for a month and just go around the West Coast <laughs> to Torrey Pines and Pebble Beach and Riviera? I mean, I'd love to see all of those courses. But uh, and look, yeah, now we're because of the way the schedule worked out, we're recording on Friday this week. We're releasing it on Saturday by the time the masses get to hear us. So we'll already be halfway through the Genesis Invitational. But for posterity's sake, who was your pick going into the weekend? My pick was Rory because okay. he, he always plays well at Riviera. I think he's like plus four, though, so he's not going to yes, win. Yes, he's, he's done. He's, <laughs> he's done. A lot of big names are struggling. I mentioned DeChambeau, Rory, Justin Thomas is like seven over. It just shows you how hard the course is. Um, yeah. As of right now, though, if I had to- I was, I was just going to say, so going yeah. into it, it was Rory. But as of right now, with the way the board is looking, who would you go with? I'm leaning towards Cantlay. Love the way he's playing. He played really well at Pebble. He was four under his first round. And he's just got that steady kind of game where he doesn't make big numbers. He, he, uh, Riviera, the greens are so tough. And Cantlay is such a good putter where he can work the slopes and stuff. So he, he would probably be my guy right now heading into uh, the weekend that I would, I would take a look at. And Sam Burns is a big leader right now. He's at 11 under. Um, and that's the closest ridiculous. one is, is McCumber two back and then Spieth at six under five strokes back. So, but again, you're on a Friday right now. Yeah. Get to Saturday. It'll, it'll 11 under, I believe was the winning score last year. So the fact that Burns has that through two rounds is yeah, it's, pretty it's damn crazy. good. That's crazy. All right, Joe, NHL talk. We, we haven't talked some hockey in a little bit because it feels like the whole league's been on pause yeah. really. Um, so let's see. I mean, you, you obviously follow hockey close and I, I really only watch the caps. This is but, why we're the yin and the yang here. You, we, I, right. I, I let you run with golf. I, I sprinkle it when I can. The team I, I want you to talk to me, the team I want you to talk to me about is the Florida Panthers because hello, here we go with Florida again. It's not <laughs> enough that they have the Rays, yeah. the lightning and the bucks. You got to throw uh, and I know they're not in Tampa, but nonetheless, Florida, here we go again. So why are the Panthers so good right now? They're right now. There's, I mean, I don't want to say it like this and like rain on people's parades, but it's more circumstance and, and luck than anything else. Like right now, when you look at one of the big indicators that I like to look at is, is your goal differential because it shows you, are you blowing teams out? Are you winning close games? Mm -hmm. Look, close wins are still wins, but you go ahead and you look at the goal difference. They've got 48 goals scored, 43 goals against. Now you look elsewhere in that division you got Tampa Bay at 54 to 32, Carolina at 53 to 40. So those, those teams are beating teams more handily and they're doing, they're, they're winning games more comfortably and they're not having these close games that Florida's having to eke out like they are. Right. Uh, now, the other thing here is this division has Nashville and Detroit at the bottom and Florida has been able to beat up on some of those teams a little bit early on. And Tampa, and it's not like they have a massive lead in the sure, central right. division. They got 22 points. Chicago, you don't even count them right now. They're at 22 points as well, but they've played 18 games. The Panthers, Lightning, and Hurricanes have all played only 14 games. Mm -hmm. So Chicago is going to fall way back in the pack very, very shortly here. So it's, it's nice that they're up there, and, and I've got friends down at, at my job that are Panthers yeah. fans yeah. and work for the Panthers. So it's nice that they've got this 10-2-2 run to start out. Uh, they're doing it on the backs of Barkov and, and Huberdeau and they have that talent. It's just, this, this wasn't expected for them this year. It's more of a flash in the pan, I think, than anything else. Um, it'd be nice. Look, they've in, in a 56 game season, 
they've built themselves a nice little cushion here where all right, maybe they can deal with a slump and still try to cling on to that fourth seed because the top four make the playoffs. Uh, but don't expect them to win the division or, or anything of that nature. I mean, again, they're only a point ahead of Tampa and Carolina. Uh, Columbus and Chicago have 20 and 22 points respectively, but they both played 18 games. So they'll fall back and the top three will probably emerge as Tampa, Carolina, and Florida, with the Stars getting in there as well. The Stars have only played 12 games because they had COVID issues at the start. So there's a lot of change to happen in this division. But, hey, the reason we're talking about hockey today is we're at the quarter mark already. 56-game season. Most teams have played between 14 and 18 games. So we're roughly at the quarter mark of the year. Um, and, and kudos to the Panthers for having such a hot start. But, again, don't expect them to be the biggest surprise that they have been so far. Don't expect them to – to go ahead and win this division. It's still a Tampa versus Carolina battle going back to the hockey preview episode. We had the hurricanes were my pick to win this division as a, as a dog to Tampa because Tampa, I was expecting a little bit of a cup hangover. They haven't shown that hangover. They're 10, three and one, but Carolina's right there with them at 10, three and one. So I wonder though, as the season goes along and you have, you have so many of these back to backs or, or, you know, four games and six nights, whatever the case may be. Will Tampa start to, ooh, got scared because outside of my window, there's a big chunk of ice that just fell, and that's the weather right now in the DMV. So yeah, there's that. It sounded like but, a lot uh, of <laughs> It was a lot of ice. Um, so back to my train of thought before I got the crap scared out of me. Um, Carolina, Tampa. Tampa, I, I think, again, they will pull back on the throttle a little bit halfway through this year. Once they see that they have a playoff spot essentially guaranteed, because like I said, Chicago is going to fall back. Columbus is going to fall back. Once they've got a playoff spot, almost guaranteed, they'll pull back a little bit. Carolina has got a chance to prove that and, and win the division. Uh, but this is a fun division to watch. It, it's more fun than I thought it was going to be because the Panthers and, and the blue jackets as well, Chicago too. But again, they played 18 games have been better than expected. Because that's the thing. I mean, you looked around the rest of the NHL and like the Eastern Division, Boston, Philly, Washington, Islanders, kind of the teams we expected. The Canadian Division, Leafs, Canadians, Oilers, kind of the teams we expected. The West, the big three of the Blues, Knights and Avalanche, the teams we expected. So that Central Division is really the one where I was only like, one. damn, Florida is 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 10-2-2. and, two and two. That's The only one and the thing you've got to look at right now is uh, – more than anything else, the point percentage, because a lot of the teams with different postponements haven't played the same amount of games. So right. in that West division, uh, you see Colorado in third, but point percentage, they'd be in first with the Blues in – I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me, Vegas in first, Colorado in second, and the Blues in third. So don't be fooled by the Blues right now in first place. It's right. still holding true to form of Vegas, Colorado, and then the Blues in the East. Same thing with the point percentage. It's pretty much holding true to form. Boston followed by Philly followed by Washington on point percentage. Uh, the surprise in the East has been the devils though, uh, mm. because they on point percentage are right there with the capitals and they've only played 11 games. Again, more of a factor of who they've played so far and when they've played them and, and so far avoiding the big guns of Boston, Philly and Washington did beat Boston have, last night. It did beat that. Boston last night, but they will play those teams a lot more going forward. You yeah. look at the caps they played, Philly a couple times. They played, played the, the Sabres every other times. day. <laughs> yeah, and they played Boston a few times. The Rangers have played a couple of those top teams already a few times. So the East is tough to handicap right now because it's just a matter of when you're playing Boston, Philly, and Washington. And 
that battle for the fourth spot in the East is going to be really fun because the Islanders and the Penguins obviously are the two teams to beat for that. The Devils have been a surprise. I think it's at the point where you could probably discount the Rangers because they just haven't put it together yet. At the beginning of the year, the offense was there, but the defense wasn't. Now the defense is there, but the offense isn't. And you see them sort of flipping the switch again that the offense is playing better. But now they have Keandre Miller out for a few days. He's day-to-day. And Jacob Truba, who's out for a month. So just things are going wrong. And the brakes have been pumped to the max on the Rangers for all the hype that there was at the beginning of the year for various reasons. I do think they'll still end up ahead of the Devils, ahead of the Sabres. They may or may not jump the Penguins for fifth in that fifth or sixth battle. But the four teams you see in the top four right now, I think they were my picks to be the four that make the playoffs. It just depends on the order. So like you said, really everything for the most part has gone true to form except for that central. And that's why we started with it because seeing yep. Florida at the top was, was quite the sight. But again, I, I don't in any way expect that to hold up. Yeah, that, that definitely was a, uh, was a shocker. Something that hasn't been a shocker is how well the Nets have been since they've acquired James Harden. Joe, I'm watching the Lakers Nets game last night. I know it's regular season. I know Anthony Davis isn't playing, and I know Kevin Durant wasn't playing. I know Dennis Schroeder was out too, which is another big piece for the Lakers. I'm watching Brooklyn, though, and I truly think that since we've really had this super team era, I think that Harden, Kyrie, and Durant might be the big three that meshes the best together. And I think that's because of Harden's playmaking ability. I think LeBron's a better playmaker than he was. So when you have LeBron's team in Cleveland with Kyrie and Love, and then, you know, it's like comparing Love to Durant. And obviously you take Durant. And I just, when you get into playoffs and their defense, they'll obviously play harder in the, in the playoffs on defense, even though they're not an elite defensive team. But Joe Harris, to me, is is a key piece for that. Every time I watch the guy, I, he doesn't miss a shot. I don't yeah. think – he was six for seven from three last <laughs> night. And when you He's have – what the Wizards hope Davis Bertans would be with the contract exactly, they gave. Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, when you're trying to guard Durant, Kyrie, and Harden and all the stress they put on your defense and you can't leave Joe Harris, it, as a defense, like, what do you do? So – they're, they're going to be really, really good. I don't think anybody's going to beat them in the East. Milwaukee's struggling right yeah. now. I think they'll figure it out. But then again, when it comes to know. the playoffs, I just yeah. – I don't, I don't trust them. You know, they've, on they've... The, on the Nets, they are coming along a lot quicker than I think people thought they would, especially mm-hmm. defensively. In this five-game win streak, they've twice held opponents to under 100 points, including the Lakers. And again – the Lakers were missing some guys, but yeah. the Nets are also missing KD right now, which is yes. a big deal. As far as what you said about, I just want to go back a second to the big three that mesh the best. I don't think any big three is ever topping Steph, Clay, and Durant because those three just played so well off of each other with Clay and Steph being able to shoot from anywhere. And then in crunch time, having Durant being arguably the best scorer of all time, giving him the ball going in that mid-range jumper, taking guys on, and then having the ability to kick it out to Steph or Clay, those three were absolutely unstoppable and perfect together, and that's why they won two titles. They were. And would have won a third 
if not for Clay and KD both getting hurt, there's no way the Raptors would have beaten them at full strength. They would yeah. have three peated. So yeah. that that there until the Nets win a couple, I'm gonna hold off on that. It, that that belongs still to that Warriors trio. But the Nets are coming along faster than we thought, and it's because people have this stigma around James Harden that oh he's a ball hog, all all this and that. If you go back to like when he started his run as an MVP caliber player, he also leads the NBA in assists. Now that's partly a product of him having the ball in every play, but it's also him being a playmaker. And, you know, that rant that Draymond had this past week about uh, the perception of players asking for trades versus when teams do it, Mm -hmm. that was as far as what it, how it related to Harden, people got this perception that Harden was a cancer in the locker room by all accounts he's a great teammate he was in a bad situation at the end there and and it was made to look like the villain but it was never going to be an issue with the nets as far as his personality as far as him being a ball hog he's a playmaker and he's fitting in he's happy you see him smiling all around the court he's loving it and as they get going like you said i don't think anybody in the east beats them the only team that i could see stopping them is the sixers because the sixers are such a good defensive team maybe the celtics if they start to mesh a little bit better and they, they've hit some rough patches too so far this season, but they have the talent to do it. I don't think the Bucks could do it. And that's just going back to last year, what we saw. They're not built for the playoffs. They are centered around Giannis. If you shut down Giannis, you shut down the team. They've lost five in a row. Uh, I think it was unfortunately, like I, I'm, I'm very happy Giannis stayed there because you like to see big guys like that stay in small markets. But I think it was a mistake. And we talked about this when it happened. Just and They have a lot of work to do in Milwaukee to build that team into a championship-winning team. They could yes. be a contending team in the East, but they're probably going to continue to fall short to the Brooklyns, to the Phillies, to the Celtics, to the teams that come out of nowhere like the Heat, who are more built for the playoffs than this team is. And that's an unfortunate fact because, you, you know, you want to see – I like Giannis. A lot of people, there's not really much hate for Giannis. Like there has been hate for superstars in the past. So you want to see him win, but I just don't see it happening right now the way it's looking. I want to see Brooklyn, Philly, Eastern Conference Finals so bad. I mean, that game would be because Brooklyn, I mean, they're not good to begin with defensively, but they really wouldn't be a good matchup for Philly because even though DeAndre Jordan's a good postman, I mean, you can't stop Embiid. And then Ben Simmons, you know, do you put, Durant on Ben Simmons to match size wise and then do you leave Kyrie and Harden on their shooters like Seth Curry and Danny Green and then on the flip side I mean nobody's stopping Brooklyn on defense it would just be it would be really really that that Eastern Conference final matchup would be the in the east and the west right now there's such a disparity in the east there are only uh, four teams above 500 you got the top four Philly 19 and 10, Brooklyn 19 and 12, the Bucks 16 and 13, the Pacers at 15 and 14. Then you got a, a 500 Boston team and everybody else is a losing record. In the West, all eight playoff teams have a winning record. And then the, uh, the Grizzlies at nine are 500. So there's a big disparity the between the two so conferences right now. And the, the it's West. always been that way. It's always, always been, been that, that way. way. And you look at the teams that aren't in the playoffs for the Western conference, Memphis, Dallas, who can score with anybody, New Orleans. Yeah. Sac- like there's so many, they're that, really that only play-in, bad that, teams that, are Oklahoma that city play in tournament in the West is going to be phenomenal. Yes. In the East, it's going to be a pillow fight. You're going to have a losing record uh, Hawks against maybe the wizards who are surprisingly only still like a game or two out of that play in part. 
Well, the Wizards um, and, are going on their West Coast road trip, hey, so they'll hey, probably they, go own five. There was there was that better that knows something that apparently everybody else doesn't. He dropped ten thousand dollars on the Wizards to win five million to win the NBA championship. That is not happening, my friend. I'm no. glad he just threw ten thousand. I mean, he could have just given it to me. He didn't have to put it on that. Why didn't he just right. give it to me if he That's wasn't going to use it? There are a lot but, of people in Texas right now that could use that money. Yeah, a lot of people around the world that could use that ten thousand yes. instead. But one last little NBA thing before we move on to college hoops: the Jazz. Out of nowhere. Joe, you told me is do you remember that Atlanta team that won like 65 games from yeah. like five years ago? Corver, coach. Corver, yeah. Horford, Jeff Teague. To me, that's what Utah is. I think they're a little better Hawks version. They have a great starting five. Jordan Clarkson's probably gonna win sixth man of the year. Quinn Snyder's been there forever. But it's the same Utah team. They haven't really added much. And even though guys are playing a lot better than they normally are. I just, I don't see them beating the Lakers. I don't think I see them beating the Clippers even. Every other team, I, I think I think they could beat. I think they could beat Portland or Phoenix or Golden State or or Denver. But I, it's still the Lakers and the Clippers to me. The Lakers still yeah, on still top. Um, man, Golden State, I wish Clay was healthy. I mean, if Clay was healthy, if Clay was still the healthy, West, they'd be right there the West would just be even that much more better. Um, Utah's great, though. They're having a great regular – they've won 21 of their last 22 games. Like, you don't do that without being good. I mean, and they're on a nine-game win streak. And when they played Golden State, I remember the soundbite from, uh, from Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr said they remind him of the Warriors right before the Warriors went on their run. But they had the pieces, and they were figuring it out. They've got their identity, and now they're starting to roll. Now, yes. not, not to say that they're going to go on and win this NBA championship, because again, like you said, I still think they're third in the West. I still think they're behind the Sixers and the Nets. Uh, but just something to keep in the back of your mind, like for next year and beyond with the pieces they have in place and what they've been able to do. Now, as far as this year's title goes, I, I'm rooting for a conference finals of Philly, Brooklyn, and obviously LALA, because out of that, I don't think there's a single finals combination that you would say no to. You're either getting the Clippers against Brooklyn or Philly, 100%. the Lakers against Brooklyn or Philly. It was or like Lakers. the Super Bowl. We said as long as Mahomes wins, we're going to have a good Super exactly. Bowl. We're going to have a exactly. high. Yeah. You get those four in, and I'm, not, I'm just going to sit back and watch without any rooting interest for the conference finals. Now you get a conference finals that's like Lakers, Utah, and, um, and Nets, Raptors. Like I'm going to be rooting for L.A. and Brooklyn. But you right. give me those four teams in the conference finals, don't care. Just just have two seven-game series that we can enjoy and then get to the finals for another great series to enjoy. Yeah, Utah better keep winning, though, because they need that number one seed so they don't have to play the Lakers or the Clippers in the semis. Yeah. They, they need to avoid them until the very, and very end. you want end. to avoid Golden State, too. Golden State could be a live dog in the playoffs, depending on – like. Is Clay going to come back for playoffs? Clay's not coming he's, back. He's Clay's not coming back, but – as if it's if if it's a six three matchup of Clippers and Golden State, knowing what we know from last year about how the Clippers were fragile in the playoffs, it wouldn't stun me to see a hot shooting Golden State team come out of that. Yeah, now again, uh, I wouldn't pick it, but it wouldn't stun me. So I, I even think Phoenix or or Portland could beat the Clippers with with the yeah. way they when they shoot the ball. I don't think exactly. they would. But, but yeah, that, that'd be probably, a, depending on how it shakes out, that's probably a second-round matchup. I'm but with so you. As far as a first-round matchup, you don't want to play the Warriors, I don't think, in the first round. 
the Clippers and because the Clippers blew a three, one lead, even if they go up in a series, if they were to stumble and a team takes game five and it's three, two, all of a sudden they might start thinking to themselves, Oh, here we go again. And if they lose game six, they don't want to play in a, in a game seven. So the Clippers are the wild card to all this because they're good enough to go to the finals, but because of their mental makeup, the history of the franchise and because of what kind of Paul George are we going to get in the playoffs? They're a team that could maybe get upset in the first round or go all the way to the finals. Yeah, there's a lot of intrigue right now. Uh, I'm curious to see how it goes with the All-Star game. I'm curious to see what it looks like when they unveil their second half of the season schedule, which they still haven't. But we're set up in, in a nice spot right now with the NBA as far as looking at teams who can be legit contenders and have a lot of fun down the stretch. Again, to put a bow on it not the same really to be said about the nhl because aside from the central everything is going to form we know what we're getting Mm -hmm. but in the nba we got a lot of intrigue as we continue to head into the spring now Um, and last quick note before we get to college basketball forgot to mention it before i am pumped for these two lake tahoe games in the nhl yeah that's going to be such an incredible incredible what a great idea i I mean whoever thought of that pay them triple i mean you're going to have a basically a pond hockey game now there was the one clip Earlier this year, I forgot who it was, but he thought they were playing on Lake Tahoe, which would have been way cooler. But it's it's a rink next to Lake yeah. Tahoe, but you get the get the mountains in the background. They're doing the broadcast. It's going to be like drone cameras and robotic cameras, oh, giving you all these kind of looks. I can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun in the coming week. Yeah, good call. I have they were showing pictures yesterday, like somebody was standing in the goalie crease and like the goalie's view, and he's got the mountains. It's, the mountains. it's beautiful. It's, yeah, it's, it's very again whoever thought of that idea pay them triple of what they're currently making definitely um all right joe college hoops so let's see i mean a lot going on so freaking happy that we're that a month away from march madness we got a right, lot before of stuff we get to that though you you got your bama gear on obviously you always got that poster over your shoulder what'd you do when they signed that contract for oats well i was <laughs> at work but i i I was finding out when my break was so I could go down to the liquor store and pop some champagne because uh, <laughs> I was very, very happy. I was in- I'm interested as to who the schools were that propped the athletic director, Greg Byrne, to give him that extra cash mm. extension. Obviously, talking to you, our good friend Ryan Warmly, a lot of Maryland people wanted Nate Oates. I'm sure Absolutely. there were a bunch of other schools <laughs> that wanted him as well. He's from Wisconsin. Um, I don't think the Badgers want him. And no. Greg Gard and Nate Oates are two completely different coaches. And look so, at what Gard has done for them. I mean, that's, 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 you know, I mean, he's literally a Bo that. Ryan clone and he's, yeah. he's the perfect student under him. So I don't think he would have gone back home to Wisconsin or anywhere. Um, I, you know, as for the blue bloods, I mean, Roy Williams, obviously is getting up there in age, maybe Carolina made a run at him. I don't know, but I'm glad that, uh, that they resigned him for five more years and uh, looking forward to what, what the tide do in the tournament. As it sits right now, according to Joe Lenardi, uh, they would be in Ohio State's region, which is what I want of the four one seeds. I think Ohio State's really, really good. And I actually think they are going to win the game on Sunday against Michigan. Um, I think Michigan's better than Ohio State, but I I do think Ohio State will win on Sunday. Um, But, yeah, Joe, it's – Michigan, Baylor, and Gonzaga are just—they're so good. They're so, uh, Gonzaga beat St. Mary's. I wouldn't put Michigan still in the same yesterday. tier as 
I still wouldn't put Michigan in the same tier as Baylor and Gonzaga, though. It's I, those two and then the next. I, I think it's Gonzaga-Baylor, but Michigan's not going to – I think Michigan's in their own tier almost. I it's like Gonzaga-Baylor, exactly. Michigan, but Michigan's knocking on the door. I mean, Michigan could Correct. beat those two teams. And I do just want to point out that for all the crap he's given the Big Ten this year, three, four, and five. Michigan, yeah, but I'm State still Oregon. I'm still not sold. Like Wisconsin, <laughs> what's it like, gonna take? What is it gonna take for you? So so here's my thing. Like, what would you like? What's gonna make you think that the Big Ten is a good like? If they don't have any teams in the Final Four, will you still say that they that were like a great? Conference? That doesn't that that doesn't matter to me because we know more than anything else. March Madness is so random, and at any single day a 15 could beat a two a 16 once beat a one you get so many upsets so many different things come into play that that's why it's so hard to 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 handicap which conference is which do you go by who makes it furthest in the tournament what do you go by i just go by teams that make the tournament and on a consistent basis now for a couple years in a row the big 10 has continually led the nation in teams in the tournament and teams in the top 25 teams in the top 10 they, that is that right there period should be the barometer because once you get to March Madness, you know, things, things happen. I mean, how many times do we have to see a Florida Gulf coast beating a two seed or a Loyola Chicago making the final four, like Wichita state when Wichita state made those couple of runs. And, but like, I could go on and on March Madness is just random. And I'm not going to say that, you know, conference a is better than conference B because Conference A only had two teams in the tournament and both made the Final Four, but Conference B had 12 teams in the tournament and none made the Final Four. Conference B is a better conference, period. So that, like, that's, that's my what thing, I, I, My thing with the Big Ten, which, which I've tried, which I guess my, my point that I'm trying to make with it is that when, when I see Gonzaga and Baylor on the bracket, okay, and whoever their 8-9 matchup is, I'm picking Gonzaga-Baylor, right? Michigan, same thing. If I were to see Ohio State or Iowa or Illinois in an 8-9 game or a two se- or a 7-10, depending on who those teams would be, I would not afraid, I would not be afraid to pick that upset. And that's my thing with those teams is I think they're good, but I also I, I think I think they're overrated. I mean, Iowa, their offense is great, but they still the defense okay, works. Iowa, you're picking you're picking the team that's 11th ranked and has the elite offense. What about those th- three teams, Michigan, Ohio State, and Illinois? Michigan, you, just, you know you I love. those teams aside. I, mean, I, I just said Michigan could beat Gonzaga and Baylor. I mean, they're a top-tier <laughs> team. Look, Ohio State's really good. I, you keep waiting for them to have a letdown game, and they just never do. But part of me just thinks that Ohio State's kind of like all those Virginia ACC teams. Like, they beat everybody in the Big Ten. They keep getting great win after great win. And then they'll just get to the tournament, and I feel like they'll flop on their face. And I could be wrong, but that's my feeling on them. Here's the thing. Like we said, it goes by the matchups, and it all depends on who you draw when the bracket comes out. Like, let me give you a scenario. If Loyola Chicago – I was going to say, yes. Loyola Chicago. In in Lenardi's latest bracketology, it's Loyola Chicago and Ohio State. And I would pick Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago winning. I wouldn't pick them, but I could see them winning. But on the flip side of that, on the flip side of that, you then look to the middle and bottom of the Big Ten. There are those teams in the middle and bottom of the Big Ten that are going to upset the top teams. You look at, sorry to your Alabama, I wouldn't want to play a seven-seater Rutgers oh, if they're I fully do. healthy. It'd be Rutgers. That could yeah. totally that, – that absolutely could be an upset. And then you look further beyond that, 
Um, you know, th- again, there are teams in the middle of the conference in the Big Ten that can – Wisconsin's a five seed. Do you not think a, a five-seeded Wisconsin? Joe, depending I don't on know. The more I watch Wisconsin, there, I, I, the things I've learned in college basketball that I try to take when I'm filling out my bracket and stuff is this idea of what the team is in your head and then what they actually are on the court. And we love Wisconsin because how they play in the tournament pretty much every year, the experience that they have. Nine seniors. But each time I watch them, I just, I like them less and less. And I really, you know, they lost two years ago in the 5-12 game to Oregon. And I just, Wisconsin in this day and age in basketball, I just don't think they have the off. They don't have the offensive weapons that they did with those Kaminsky and Decker teams. And I just, I don't know if they can make a deep run. Minnesota, forget about them. They stink. Indiana, forget about them. They stink. Rutgers is the interesting team because they they play good defense. They've had injuries throughout the year. They they, right, right. But look, it's my personal opinion. The Big Ten, outside of Michigan, Michigan is the one team I am sold on. They are great. Ohio State's really good. Illinois is really good. Iowa's really good. But if I see a favorable upset matchup, I am not hesitating to pull the trigger on any of those teams. And now, I, I the, the Rutgers-Bama example is maybe a bad example because A, you're a Bama guy, and B, <laughs> I think Bama should be, on a, should be on the one line instead of the two line when it comes down to it. But look at the possible two seeds, all right? Well, Iowa. Okay, take even Iowa, for example. Now it would be Big Ten on Big Ten crime. But you look at a seven-seeded Rutgers, if that two-seed is Iowa or if that two-seed is – wow, Lenardi has all Big Ten teams on the two-line right now, uh, which is, again, a testament to the conference. But if you – all right, this is killing my example. All right, if West Virginia makes it to the two-line, just so we're not talking Big Ten on Big Ten crime here, would, it, would, would you be stunned if a seven-seeded Rutgers beats a two-seeded West Virginia or a two-seeded Oklahoma team or something like that? If you get a, if you get a Big East or a Big 12 team – that's a two seed going up against a, a seven or eight seed of Rutgers. No, I would not. I would not. And, and that's the strength. And that's the strength of the conference. Besides the fact that there's the, there's one team on the one line, uh, two teams on the, yes, I'm looking at it right two now. There's two yep. teams on the one line, Michigan and Ohio state. There's two teams on the two line, Illinois and Iowa. And then there's the rest of them too, that you just, you just don't want to play them depending on who it is and when it is. That's the strength of the conference. I'm just telling you, there's not a big – as an Alabama fan, there's not a single Big Ten team I fear other than Michigan. Give well, me Illinois. because Alabama is, is probably a little bit underranked here at eight. I agree but with you. It's, it's not even that. I just – the way these Big Ten teams are built, I, you know, it, it, the, the way they're built – like Ohio State can score, Michigan can score – Iowa can score, but they can't play defense. Can't Illinois, play. Illinois, they have two great players, but at times they can go through scoring droughts. And that's that's you have to be able to score in the what, NCAA though. tournament. Tell you what, you though. just have to. I, as I'm starting to formulate my bracket in my mind as the weeks go by, more and more I'm thinking about dragging Illinois to the Final Four when I make my bracket. They've got what it takes. I'm not as high on Illinois as everybody is. And I could be way wrong. I love Brad Underwood. Desuma's great, but I'm just not. He's a great coach. This team, this Illinois team, and the reason why I think, even though as a Big Ten rival, I'm falling in love with them, I'm Maryland from last year is going to live vicariously through this Illinois team. There are so (laughs) many similarities. Desuma's your Cowan, Coburn is your Sticks. 
Now they have a much better coach in Underwood versus Turgeon. Right. And then they just got those role players that slot in just the same way that Maryland's role players slotted in last year. I think that's why I love this team and, and can see them going far is because I see them as last year's Maryland. And the reason that you don't see them that way is because you thought last year's Maryland would have lost in the second round. That, so, you know what? That might <laughs> be it. That, I think we've exactly discovered what it is. Yeah, so. I just – Look, they're a good team. I don't know, Joe. Look, I mean, like you said, March Madness, everybody gives their opinion, but it's such a crapshoot, and that's why we love it. So Illinois could win the whole damn thing, for all I know. Of course. But now this week's big game, I've seen. Oh, no, go yeah. ahead, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, from what I've seen, I just, I'm still, I'm still not sold on, on some of the Big Ten teams outside of Michigan. But that's my only thing. That's but not, Michigan and Ohio State it. have a big we'll time game goes, on Sunday. I was just going to say, Last weekend, the games that we previewed as like the big games of the weekend, they lived up to it. Drake and Loyola Chicago split their weekend series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that w- West Virginia Oklahoma game we pointed out went to two overtimes and it was a tremendous game. I pointed out Creighton against Villanova and Creighton went ahead and pulled that upset. So yep. we were on the money last week with the games that we picked as the main games to watch. This weekend, what are the couple that you're pointing out? All right. Well, I mean, the thing I wanted to ask you real quick is even if the loser of Michigan and Ohio state won't drop from the one line, will they? I mean, I don't think they will. No, I, I mean, that's if, just a pad your resume a, kind of game. If there was a, yeah. If there was a 20 point massacre, maybe you fall a couple spots, but look at what's behind it. Virginia has struggled. Houston just lost to Wichita state and you got Illinois. So hypothetically, all right. So we, we both think Ohio state's going to win this game. Hypothetically, yes. Ohio State Ohio State beats Michigan by 20. Could you see putting Illinois ahead of them? Already right there, no. So so you you're putting them at you're, you're flip-flopping them. That's all you're doing. Ohio State's three, Michigan's four. Yeah, that's probably putting, what it would be. You're not you're not putting Illinois ahead of Michigan. Houston lost, so they're dropping down. Virginia's been struggling. You're not putting them up. Bama, for whatever reason, they're not voters are not loving Bama and it's yeah, yeah the thing about Bama, they, they don't have the great wins that some of those – their best yeah, win is they don't at have the great wins. Tennessee. They have a lot they of quad one wins, struggles too. but not – yeah, and they – right, they have some bad losses too. Yep. So right there, I mean, that answers your question. If Even if Ohio State wins by 20, none of those teams that are knocking on the door behind that top four would you slot ahead of Michigan. So there's your answer. Now, nice. on the flip side, to look at it the other way, if Michigan wins by 20-something, then you could start to see a fall for Ohio State because now a five-loss Ohio State team, you're putting Illinois above them. You're not putting Houston above them again. Houston's dropping because they lost to Wichita State. Mm-hmm. You're probably putting Virginia above them. You're probably putting Bama above them. If Oklahoma goes ahead, they have a big game. No, they have Ohio, Iowa State. That's nothing. Um, maybe right there is where you settle. That's, that's probably the floor. If Ohio State loses by like 20, maybe they settle in at like eight or nine. But again, right. it's not going to be a massive number because, again, beyond that, there's not many teams who are going to vault up the rankings this week. So we're starting to get to the point of the year where unless a team loses multiple times, you're not going to see huge shakeups near the top. So Michigan, the worst they can do entering next week is probably four. If Ohio State loses, the worst they could do is probably like eight. Right. Um. As to get back to your question, the games I'm looking forward to, Big East game at 1 o'clock, UConn-Villanova, huge game for UConn. If they want to make the tournament as an at-large, they got James Knight back, and uh, he's probably going to be a lottery pick. He comes back in his first game against Providence, a team they lost to by 10. 
couple days back, and then they beat him by 20 when he comes back. So that that should be a good game. Texas Tech-Kansas is a ranked matchup, but I, I think Kansas might be the most overrated team in the country. I just don't think they're really that good. We obviously love Chris Beard, and uh, even though the game is at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, it obviously won't be like it normally is. I think Texas Tech wins that game. Um, West Virginia, Texas, another ranked matchup. That should be good. But the the games I'm most looking forward to are teams that are on the bubble that need the big wins against big teams. So like Minnesota, Illinois. Minnesota hasn't won a road game all season long, but they have some good wins at home. They beat Michigan at home. Now they have a chance to get Illinois at home. Uh, another big bubble game for for teams are in the ACC, North Carolina, Louisville. Big game for those teams to try and pad their resume and get that. And then, uh, you know, it's the blockbuster matchup at night between Duke and Virginia. I hope Virginia just wins so we can shut up <laughs> yeah. with Duke and kick them out of the tournament <laughs> once and for all. But uh, the game I'm probably looking most forward to, honestly, in the whole slate – UConn Villanova. I'm interested to see that Minnesota Illinois game though. I, yeah. uh, you know, because Minnesota, I, I just, I really, I don't think they're all they're all that great. But they did beat Michigan by 20, and if they can beat Illinois, that would be another big, big win for them. I was going to point out that Michigan, um, excuse me, Minnesota Illinois game as well for the reason you just said that Minnesota did destroy Michigan this year, and yep. they see that number five next to Illinois' name, and like you said, Illinois for as much as I and many people like them, they are susceptible to that letdown where they go six, seven minutes without scoring, Mm -hmm. but their defense is so good. Well, they'll, they'll turn around and stop you from scoring for six, seven minutes. I can see Minnesota making that a game. I don't think they'll win. Um, Texas, West Virginia is a big game that I'm circling at ABC three o'clock. We just saw how great that big 12 game was last week with West Virginia and West Virginia and Texas are two teams that are knocking on the door from, the three between the three line, the two line, maybe a loss falls drops into the four line. So that's yep. a big game as far as seeding goes between those two teams. Uh, like you said, I mean, Texas Tech and Kansas. I, I don't think Kansas is all that, and, and we both love Chris Beard. Um, I don't see many massive upsets on the on the slate this week. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Baylor Oklahoma State Saturday postponed. Uh, but I mean, you know where I'm going with the game that I'm pointing out this week. It's a huge game in the Big Ten. It is Maryland at Rutgers. It's a massive game right now. Maryland Sunday is fun in day, baby. Last four in. Yes, sir. Maryland is in Lenardi's last four in. It's not a great matchup against Rutgers, but the way Maryland's been playing with Ayala and Wiggins combining for like 40 a game lately, that's not something we saw happening, and it's happening. Does it continue? Uh, Daryl Morcell is locked down. He held Marcus Carr in nine points last time out against Minnesota. So they're slowly putting things together and it's just a matter of knocking off a team like Rutgers to solidify yourself. Do you think they do it, Joe? Sounds like you think they might. I think they've got a chance, but I think they won't just because again, it comes down to Pykele and Turgeon. Who am I trusting in the last eight minutes of that game to tweak things in his team's favor? And I'm trusting Peichel. I'm not trusting Turgeon in that case. He's shown to be better at times this year, Turgeon, for all the faults we've seen with him in the past. But chips down, I'm trusting Peichel in that situation. So I lean Rutgers, but it's a massive game. Again, if Maryland could win that game, some of the questions as far as being first four in, last four out, whatever, they go away. They start to go away for Maryland. As long as they win their their home games, yeah. 
Absolutely. Because you look beyond Rutgers. First of all, they took care of business Maryland with that back-to-back against Nebraska. You lose mm-hmm. to Nebraska, forget your tournament chances. So they got Rutgers and they're home against Michigan state. That looks like a W to me. They're at Northwestern. That could be a trap game, but I like the chances and they're home against Penn state. For as bad as they've been on the road against Penn State, having not won there since 2015, they've been equally as good at home against Penn State. So if you beat Rutgers, I don't think they lose the rest of the regular season. And at that point, I think their bid is solidified unless they, again, lose in like the first round of the Big Ten tournament to Nebraska, which is not going to happen. So yeah. it, I, it's, it's the biggest game of the year for Maryland. Can they still make the tournament with losing to Rutgers? Absolutely. But – you win that and, and you're looking good. So that's obviously where I'm going for my main game of the weekend. And then, look, like you said, there's plenty of others too. That Virginia Duke game is huge. We don't, maybe we think so for different reasons. Um, I don't think Duke has any chance of building their resume to getting in as an at-large, but Jalen Johnson's gone. If this team turns around and beats Virginia after that, you start to maybe see them kind of getting an air of confidence. Like, all right, maybe we could go on a run here. And the last thing I want is for Duke to go on a run in the ACC tournament, win the ACC tournament, and get in the tournament. Yeah. So I, I want, I just want Virginia to squash them this week. Please, and that's it. Please, Virginia, um, we don't ask for much. Out, the stat that I wanted to point out about Maryland, though, like as going down these last couple, uh, last couple of games, crazy stat that somebody pointed out on Twitter uh, at the handle at RollDamnTerps. I want to give the credit where it's due. Uh, over the past two seasons, there are three teams in college basketball who have not lost a single quad two, three, or four game. Gonzaga's 38-0, Kansas is 26-0, Maryland's 24-0. The only three teams that are undefeated against quads two, three, and four. So get past Rutgers, and I like Maryland's chances. Wow. Good stat. Very good stat. Yeah, we'll see what happens, Joe. Only a month away from Selection Sunday. How we end every podcast, Joe, with some trivia. We are all tied up at 14 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to give you my question first. So we've been talking about this, and I want to try to get rid of the half points because it's a pain in the neck to remember every week. Right. So I came up with a question that's got, it's got seven components. If you give me five of the seven, I'll give you the half credit. If you give me all seven, you get the full point, and we're right back to square one with you being still on a half point. But I want to try to get rid of that half point. Sounds Let's good. See if we can do it this week. I know you told me that the way your question is. I know you told me the way your question is structured to me. It's not likely that nah. I can get rid of my half point, but let's try to get rid of yours. So let's do it. Golf. We talked about the majors. Talked about the majors being on the horizon, and and still got a little bit of a ways to go. About two months, but starting to look at at, at that season's getting going. Uh, in the top 15 in the world right now, according to the world golf rankings, in the top 15, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who have yet to win a major who could be due for a breakthrough. I want you to give me five of the seven top 15 guys without a major win for that half point, all seven for the full point. Great question. All right. So let's see. Patrick Cantlay is one. Correct. Xander Schauffele is two. Correct. He's fourth ranked. Is Terrell Hatton up there? Correct. He's fifth ranked. Okay. Terrell Hatton's fifth. Good. Yeah. Lord. That would surprise me. <laughs> All right. Let's see. DJ's one. Justin Thomas is one. Rory's one. Morikawa's one. Uh, Kepka's one. DeShambo's one. Um, 20 seconds into it. No strike. Adam Scott's one. 
Uh, ooh. Daniel Berger? Daniel Berger, number 13. That's four. All right. Um, let's I'll see. tell you, you've gotten, you've gotten the middle four guys. The three you have remaining. Oh, Rom. John Rom. Rom. Okay. So there's your half <laughs> point. Now, if you can get the last two, you get the full point. You got two left, and you still got 45 seconds and all your strikes. Okay. Uh, man, Rom. Uh, this is going to freaking kill me. I think I said Rom, Shaw, Lee Hatton, and Cat Landberger. Right. God, I can't think of anymore. Adam Scott's one major. Um, Not top 15. Oh, Finau. 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 Finau is 15. If you can get the last one, you get that half point. You got 25 seconds left. Oh, man. All right. Uh, Play all your strikes, too. God. Finau. I love Finau. 10 seconds. Um, 15 seconds. No, I don't think I'm going to get it. It's going to kill me. Uh, you got three strikes. Just rattle off. Three I know. Names. Go Speed, for it. It's not him. Um, no. um, uh, all right. Time's up. Yeah. I don't got it. All right. Victor Hovland. Hovland. I was thinking him too, but I didn't know if he was that high. God. All right. So we're getting, like I said, we we're trying to get rid of the half point. I succeeded in that. You're nice. up to 15. I'm at 14 and a half. Now you said yours doesn't have enough components to get rid of my half point. So we'll try that next week, but let's see what the question is. All right, so so I'm just at 15. I'm at 15. You're at 15. 15. Yeah, just okay. at 15. Gotcha. All right. Um. So let's see. Yours is so we had some big MLB news this week, right? Tati signs that crazy deal. Um. My thing is, who are the five MLB teams who are plus 1,000 or better to win the World Series? Plus one thousand or better. Yeah. Meaning, so the top four, top odds, five, the top five betting favorites, basically. Top five betting favorites. Yep, and they're all plus one thousand or better. All five. Yep. Okay. Go ahead. Or do you want to do four out of five to get rid of my half point too? Uh, no, all five. Because right, we'll you'll, that, we'll I mean, you're right. Yeah. We'll hold that tonight. <laughs> all right. Um, Dodgers. Dodgers are not on there. I'm just kidding. Plus three. <laughs> plus plus three fifty. Uh, all right. All right. Dodgers. All right. These three I know for sure because it was a big deal after the contract was signed. I'm going to rattle them right off. It's the Yankees, Padres, and Mets. You got four. You just need one more that I thought would be the toughie for you. Who's the You got 50 seconds left. All right. Based on the big moves we've seen lately, are the Cardinals there? Cardinals are not there. I believe they were plus 12. Gotcha. So close. So I got all right. Plus twelve hundred. Um, the Rays definitely fell off, and there's nobody else in that AL East. In the NL East, ooh, are the Braves there? The Braves didn't do a lot in the offseason. Thirty they didn't seconds. Need to do a lot. The Braves. Not the Braves. All right, one strike left. Uh, in the Central, the Twins maybe. There's nobody in the NL Central if it's not the Cardinals. In the AL Central, maybe the Twins, they're usually a 100-win team. AL West? 10 seconds. there? Ah. All right. Best shot here is, is just going to have to be the Twins. Right division, wrong team. The Chicago White Sox. Really? Plus, I could wow. not believe that either. 
Wow. I mean, they got some good pieces. They do. And you really forget about them. They I got would some... not have put them ahead of the Twins. As a matter of fact, after you said that, I'm going to go look at what the AL, AL Central, Central right. are <laughs> and bet on the Twins because that means the White Sox are the favorites there. The White Sox are ahead of the value. Braves. They're ahead of the Twins. They're ahead of the Cardinals. I was, I was surprised. Wow. I was All right, surprised. well, they're ahead of Houston. Question. I was surprised. Houston, so. Houston's not. I, I don't. I don't see Houston this year being being too much. I think they're gonna they're gonna have themselves quite a letdown this year. I don't so, know if yeah, they'll miss shoot. the playoffs, but that's wow, White Sox. That's the I, fact they're that high though. Almost is like what what is Vegas now? And again, they got a lot of good young hitting and prospects. Just, but and like, how, what is the deal with Larusa? I mean, like, there's too many questions there for me to say that they're that that's a hype bet right there. That is them just feeding into the hype and just taking suckers money is all right. that is. I knew I mean, you'd I get the see, top. I knew you get could, the top yeah. four, but Chicago, I was like, I could see the Mets. I could see the Padres. No way, no way for the White Sox. The only yeah. reason that that's a maybe is because the only clear cut favorite in the AL is the Yankees. But still, again, I would put the Twins in that division ahead of the White Sox. But that's interesting. So I'm going right. to I'm going to William Hill right now. Let me go to uh, let me go to baseball to get the uh, to see where the other other teams were. So let's see. All right. That's, so that's, yeah. So the what? So all those five are the same that I said. Dodgers three fifty, Yankees five fifty, Padres nine hundred, Mets White Sox a thousand. And then you had the Braves at 1,200. And then there's a drop-off of Twins 16, Athletics 18, Blue Jays 2,000. Hmm. The Cardinals are 2,500. Oh, PJ, PJ, hold on a second. I'm looking at my FanDuel now. Yeah. I want to dispute this and get myself my half point here. At FanDuel, one, two, three, four, five. There are six teams at plus 1,000 or better. And the Braves are one of them. <sighs> I mean... We could just settle it right here. We could settle it right here. We could get rid of the half point for both of us. And That's I'm true. not technically wrong. It just depends on the book. Because the, the book that I'm All right, so yeah, right let's, here, just make I, it, let's just make it 15-15 then. Let's All just right, make it 15-15. Here, I, at, FanDuel, at FanDuel, it's plus 350 for the Dodgers, 550 for the Yanks, 800 for the Padres, 850 for the White Sox, and the Brett... The, Bretts and the Maves. Let's combine their team names. The, the Mets and the, and the Braves. The Mets and the Braves are plus a thousand each, followed by the Twins at eighteen hundred. Half point. Consider it done. So done. fifteen to fifteen, done. all tied up. <laughs> there we go. And you know what? That's that's a fair way to do it too, because depending on the book, I am right with the Braves. There we go. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's fair. All right. Well, thanks again to Davy Siegel for joining us and teaching these two dummies some NASCAR. We enjoyed it. <laughs> um episode 38 in the books let's see next week another good golf tournament at the wgc pitchers and catchers reported this week it did baseball is coming around the corner a lot of good stuff for joe i'm pj we'll see you next time